This week on Another Brother. They did. So did that's you have to find out the hard way? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you found out yeah, the hard yeah. way. Got it. Yeah, we definitely got kicked out. <laughs> he said, oh, sociology. I thought that said BYU Scientology. <laughs> <laughs> For some reason, just the phrase... Kevin's adventure style croquet <laughs> just feels so right. Well, Josh is sick. No, he's not sick. No. Josh is detained children so we've got um our other brother here today again jared thank you large crowd thank you (laughs) so we wanted to do this last time and then i think i stole the show and decided unilaterally at the last minute that we were going to talk about zelda (laughs) but uh (laughs) all of us including jared grew up in Oregon. So we're going to talk this time about like, uh, you know, the things you did as a kid growing up in the summer in Oregon. Who wants to go first? This is, this is kind of blind. None of us have really thought this through (laughs) what we're going to say this time. Well, I know what we, this could be interesting. So for us, it was all about 7-Eleven and Dairy Queen. Mm -hmm. In Kaiser, they were right next to each other. Like you couldn't just throw a rock. You could throw like a boulder and hit the other one. They were that close. So we would typically, depending on the summer, we would, some summers it would be like scooters. Some summers it would be bikes, but you know, we'd always get on our things and ride down together. You'd have someone who would come from Gabe's or Gubs or neighborhood. And then I'd link up onto 14th Avenue, not 14th on Lock Haven and others would link up somewhere else. And we'd all just kind of converge at some point and then we'd get to, First 7-Eleven, and we'd buy, you know, well, I would get a donut, because donuts. <laughs> and a Slurpee, you know, sometimes we'd get the weird rolled taquito meat yeah. things on mm-hmm. the hot rollers. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Maybe a slice of pizza. But again, Slurpees, always the Slurpee. I think those were more, never mind, not important. <laughs> <laughs> Slurpees were so cheap. Yeah, and then we'd go over to DQ. And we'd sit outside on DQ's tables. Oh. Because oh. by that time, the sun would be far enough where they'd be in the shade from the building. Hmm. And if it was really hot and we wanted to go inside, one of us would buy like an order of French fries. Mm. And we'd mm. go inside and eat all of our 7-Eleven stuff because one person bought French fries. Did they ever get mad at you for having 7-Eleven stuff in there? Not if we bought the French fries. Oh. So that's what that's okay. <laughs> right. they did until, yeah, that right, was right. The, okay. They did. So did that's you have to find out the hard way? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you found out yeah, the hard yeah, way. Yeah. Got it. Yeah, we definitely got kicked out. <laughs> got it. And then sometimes it ended up being, sometimes we would actually buy a Sunday there, mm, even. Sure. But for the most part, it was all about the 7-Eleven food. That, to me, this is like the thing of summer. That mm. was it for me. There, mm. There's obviously more, but that's the thing that will always stand out. Riding down to DQ and 7-Eleven. Um, and everyone else pretty much had a membership to the local pool. So a lot of times, which was, which ironic, we were the ones who lived closest to the pool. Like it was just two streets down from us. Down a very um, dangerous hill. The best hill. 
So yeah, we would spend a lot of time at the pool too. A lot of time video gaming. Uh, what what games? That's a good question. What game screams summer? Well, this is an interesting one. The first one that came to my mind was Fantasy Star Online. Mm. Hmm. Yeah, we all had it on GameCube. Was that multiplayer? Yeah. No. Four player split screen. Really? Huh. Had it on GameCube. It was a Dreamcast port, I mm-hmm. think. Yeah, there were a couple of summers where that was that was the the big game for us. Hmm. And then things changed once you all got licenses and cars, and it it just not that it wasn't fun and good still, but the uh, I guess the the childhood innocence is kind of gone once you're up to that age. It's just not different kind of memories, I think. Hmm. For me. I don't know that that's necessarily the case for me. I guess you like I the freedom? kid for a long time. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> not, that, <laughs> not that we started getting into different things. Just, I don't know, something about those early years of like the preteen years, 12, 13, of you can only get around on your bike and your scooter. To me, that was like the epitome of summer joy for some reason. Hmm. Well, I didn't get my license until I was 17. So that gave me an extra mm. year of not having a car that maybe had an effect on that. Oh, another thing. At that age, none of us had like cell phones. Right. Once yeah. I was in high school, yeah. all my friends had cell phones. So I feel like that also kind of changed things where mm. they were all texting and calling each other and I didn't have a cell phone. But when you were all that young and none of you had cell phones, you know, it's just kind of this long thing of phone tag until everyone's gotten called and you're all synced up on your plans and then you head out at a specific time and meet up. It was just different times than it is now. Yeah. My you friends did not out. have cell phones, even yeah, as seniors ex- in high school. So maybe that's maybe so. that's more of the, the, the bigger differentiation there is I wasn't the only one <laughs> out of the loop. <laughs> I knew everyone was as out of the loop as I was. And you all just kind of went out on faith that you were all going to show up at 11 o'clock, <laughs> right. you know? Mm-hmm. Right. Whereas when I was older, I'd hop in the car and like I was no longer in contact, but everyone else was still in contact between mm-hmm. them. Yuck. Yeah. So they could change plans. No, I mean, they never would, but. Tell Jacob we're going at 10. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Jared. I feel the same as Jacob in that I think of summer differently depending on the age range. Hmm. Early summer, I'll skip past Arizona because summer in Arizona was boring. You just had to stay inside all day. (sighs) Too hot. It was always at least 100. Oh, so when did you live in Arizona? Uh, from 5 to 8. Oh, jeez. So those summers were just being inside with the AC cranked up, trying to not go outside. Mm-hmm. Did you guys not have a pool? No. We okay. were the only house on our street without a pool. Yeah. Oof. I've confirmed this on Google Earth. (laughs) But then someone put in a pool recently. So now it is no longer. But at the time it was. So you continue to creep on these people in this Occasionally (laughs) I get the Arizona need to creep. Okay. (laughs) No, but in Oregon when I actually could go outside, summer was still a lot of water stuff, Mm. you know, so... Mm -hmm. We had gotten so accustomed to going to a neighbor's house to go to their pool in Arizona that when we moved to Oregon, we felt the need to go to a pool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But we didn't want to go to the public one because we were so used to just being able to go to a neighbor's house to do it. Right. So our mom got one of those big blue inflatable 
pools. Like an above ground pool? Yeah. Oh, nice. That take forever to fill and pump up. And yeah. if you kick them too hard, all the water sloshes out. We got one of those. And so there was a lot of that. Especially when I was younger, there was a lot of slip and slide stuff. Oh, yes. Um, mm. Especially in Arizona, which was not fun once you fell out of the slipping slide. Because mm. then it was on to like sand or rocks. Yeah, because <laughs> you don't have grass yards there. Like pumice. Not really. Ugh. Ouch. We did have a grass yard, but the grass is almost burnt. So mm-hmm. not exactly a soft landing compared to Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then as I got older, like 10 or 12 it was definitely more summers the time to get through all the games. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. So a lot of Ocarina of Time, a lot of Kingdom Hearts, mm. pretty much switching back and forth on those two and always playing them anew, getting up to a certain point and then giving up <laughs> <laughs> and then going to the other one. And then next summer would be the same thing. So it actually took me quite a while to beat either of those games. Mm. I've started them each probably 20 times. <laughs> I've beaten them only a handful. (laughs) That's how I used to play games, though, as a kid. I would just play until I got to a point where I either got bored or I hit a wall. And I was like, I'm doing this for fun. I'm not going to push past this wall. We're done. (laughs) We're doing something else. We're going outside. (laughs) So that was games. We went to the beach quite a bit. That's what I was going to ask. How long has your family had that house uh, at Rockaway Beach? So my grandpa got it. If I remember correctly, in the late 40s? Oh. I could be wrong. This is a a, a long-time family property. Yeah. I know the property property was made, I think, in the 1920s. That's Um, cool. 40s might be undershooting it. He might have gotten it in the 60s, but sometime in that time period is when he got it. And then we've actually sold it (laughs) since Liz and I got married. Yeah. So we were... Ah, we were one of the really last Ben Wyatt. people. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was it was rough. That episode was traumatizing. <laughs> Not again. <laughs> we went there a lot. We would go to the Tillamook Cheese Factory. Mm. We'd go to Cannon Beach. We'd go to Seaside. We always went when it was super duper windy. That's on purpose? No. Just okay. Just our happened. luck. Yeah. We would either get no wind but rainy. Or nice weather and super windy. Mm. We never seem to get one or the other. Yeah. And that can be pretty unpleasant yeah. on the beach. Yeah. Being and, sandblasted. Yeah. Well, especially in Rockaway, the shore is pretty flat. And so if you're sitting there, you're getting pelted in the face with sand. If you try to yep. lay down, the sand's going <laughs> to get up your nose. It's going <laughs> to get everywhere. But we loved it. We always went to the cabin and that was kind of our family thing. And yeah. our extended family would come a lot. Sometimes that was fun. Sometimes that was not fun. Because yeah. then there would be 30 people in a tiny little cabin and <laughs> there's no AC and things can oh, get pretty bad. Yeah. Oregon yeah, Coast. That's a lot of people. Yeah. So how long of a drive was that for you guys? Uh, about hour and a half. Oh, okay. So that's similar. Uh, yeah. Pretty much the same for us. Different part of the coast, of course, but definitely. Yeah. Okay. I feel like if you live in the most populous area of Oregon, you're only going to be about an hour and a half away. Yeah. Anything east of that, you know. Yeah. The only other thing I can think of is I had the same mentality with video games, but for book ideas. So growing up, I wanted to be an author. 
Uh-huh. And so summers were a lot of brainstorming about worlds and characters and plot lines and stuff. And I never actually wrote anything. <laughs> never. Oh, really? Huh. Not no. even notes? No. I would just think about it a lot. Do you remember any of it, though? Like any of the, like, your favorite oh, yeah. ideas? Oh, yeah. Dude, you should like... I have several. <laughs> yes. You should You should hop on that with like AI. Help Have AI help you <laughs> write it yeah. all out. And <laughs> well, I finally started writing one. Yeah? Mm-hmm. And Lizzie could illustrate it for you? <laughs> Maybe, yeah. It's it's going to be... Pressure's a, on now, Liz. Yeah, yeah geez. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a zombie book. So nice. I don't know if she'd mm. want to draw it, but that's kind of the direction. I'm... I can hear her in the back of my head right now. Yeah, I'll totally draw that. <laughs> but yeah, as a kid, I don't know why I never thought to actually write stuff down or actually start <laughs> writing the book. I just had so much fun thinking that I would just do that. I'd go back in the backyard and pretend I can map out the world and map out the characters and the plot and this is going to be what the first book is about and then the second <laughs> book it was all very detailed and then I would just alright on to the next thing <laughs> sounds like you should have studied philosophy <laughs> just thinking about everything sociology I ended up somewhere not really close <laughs> <laughs> oh last thing before I pass it this BYU sociology shirt I'm wearing. <laughs> I was at the Dollar Tree last week, and the cashier, when I went up and talked to him, mm-hmm. he said, Oh, sociology. I thought that said BYU Scientology. <laughs> that would be weird. That would be so weird. What would BYU Scientology look like? <laughs> Okay, well, I had a pretty good group of friends as far as size and how tight we were. We did lots of different things during the summer. It's hard for me to really focus on anything in particular. Like later on, there were summers where we did a lot of paintballing, Mm. but that was with a smaller subset of those friends, mostly the ones that went to the same church with us. Uh, huh. yeah, the, yeah. my friends that weren't in our church didn't really do any paintballing. I never However, that. we did all do a lot of laser tag mm-hmm. in the summertime. That was Russell's backyard. Yeah. Russell's backyard, Danny's front and backyard, Willark Park. Oh, I don't, I didn't know where Danny lived apparently. Uh, Kurt, Kurt's house too, their front and backyard. Then from, from those yards, Russell's and Kurt's, from those yards into the park between the two, because they both lived on the same street and their backyards abutted directly against the park. So we could just. So you actually use their backyards as part of the playing field? Sure, yeah. Of course. Dang. Yeah. You know, set up barricades up on the deck or something. <laughs> and uh, we had a grenade, a laser tag yeah. grenade that we could chuck from up there. <laughs> <laughs> but I think maybe, maybe the thing that stands out the most. I think probably came when I was 14 between middle school and high school. I was about to go to high school. We did a lot of biking, just a ton of biking that summer. I think it was that summer and probably other summers too. But there was a state park. Mm-hmm. It was about seven or eight miles from town. Well, I'm at Mission. We called it Mission Bottom. I don't know why. Wait. It was a low, a lower area than where we were. It's name isn't Mission Bottom. 
No, it's Willamette Mission State Park. <laughs> My whole life has been a lie. I'm pretty sure anyway. I could be wrong. That's what you both call it. You and Josh call it that. Is that that big, wide open, lawless feeling space? Yeah. <sighs> okay. Liz took me there and I felt freaked out the entire time. <laughs> yeah. The, I mean, there, there, there are densely wooded areas. You can get to the Willamette River at the park. There's a section of it that's along the river. There's also a really tall tree there. Yeah. It's the tallest, tallest, whatever species in all of Utah. Yeah. Oregon. (laughs) But I believe it is where, I mean, it's called Willamette Mission because it was like a Catholic mission. Like it had the old style Adobe type mission building. Yeah. And I think it's still there. I think it's like the official office building for for the park now. But you don't really go there for that. Like you drive... You, you sail right on past that building, and I think I don't even think you can see it. I think it's got trees around it in such a way that you drive into the park and you don't even know it's there. And we would ride our bikes all the way out there. It was rough because there was a big hill you had to get up, but then once you were up there, you got to go back down it on the other side to get down to the park, and uh, you could get going pretty, pretty quick. Because that other side is way steeper, right? It's like a... No? Yes. Yeah, I yeah, thought it was like, no, it is. like yeah. super steep. Well, there's a side street that goes down the hill more steeply, and we would sometimes stop and spend some time with someone down at the bottom of the hill watching Watch traffic. Yeah. Say, okay, go ahead. <laughs> See how course. fast you could get going. Yeah. But sticking to the street that takes you to the park wasn't quite as steep. Nevertheless, you could get going pretty quick. And... uh I, I lost uh, I lost uh, I lost some weight that year <laughs> that summer <laughs> for sure because we did that ride really frequently like fourteen mile round trip not including all the riding inside the park that you would mm. do and the park was littered with horse trails that were pretty rough terrain for a bike but <laughs> we would go bike on these trails that were just full of roots constantly uh, up and down kind of hilly not super hilly but not really gentle terrain for the most part. Just a lot of roots that had taken over. So that's what you do. You would ride to the park to ride in the to park. To ride in the park, yeah. Huh. Yeah, that. Uh, or play laser tag. We played laser okay, tag out ask. there too. Okay, sure. good, good. That we yeah. did do that from, from time to time. There was some good terrain out there for that. That was like before we had found the uh, thicket of trees where we ended up playing paintball, which would have been a good spot for laser tag too. But you'd never be able to play paintball <laughs> out in Willamette Mission State Park. But, you know, we we also rode to 7-Eleven sometimes, yeah. got Slurpees. We oh, only yeah. ever got Slurpees. We didn't get food okay. there. We, we would get Slurpees. 99-cent giant freaking Slurpees. So good. Mix all the flavors in. Yeah. Yeah. We'd do at least three good. flavors at a time. But we, we would also do lots of sleepovers, lots of Legos. Yes. Um, yeah, lots of sleepovers. Lego stop motion movies. Did a f- couple of those. One friend had in their basement a giant chalkboard, really long chalkboard on one of the walls in their basement. And we would do these, we would draw these stick figure wars where someone would just draw out the terrain and it would include caves that would go down inside kind of like a like an ant farm almost and then we would just start drawing these stick figures all over the place like worms armageddon yeah but on a chalkboard yeah like the (laughs) like one of those video games 
and uh, one side would have bandanas on. I think that's how we uh, differentiated them. Rocket packs, uh, rocket launchers, machine guns, swords, baseball bats with nails. <laughs> like there was no limit. <laughs> we just draw them all over the place. Yeah, that was, I mean, sandbox, blowing up sandbox that's what with I was fireworks. You guys did all kinds of stuff at Russell's house. I mean, just, we had so many different things that we did. I'd, I'd never be able to get through all of it. There's one I'm, I'm surprised you've left out so far. Hmm. Tennis ball golf. Yeah, that was, a, that was an excellent summertime invention. Yeah, it was. What's that? So it's basically golf, <laughs> but you use a tennis ball. And we only ever used old school woods that we would get from uh, Goodwill mm. for like a dollar. Probably even less than that. And the rules were more or less the same, except that the hole was determined by the person who was in the lead at that point in time. After nice. you finish a hole, whoever's in the lead gets to determine what the next hole is. So at this park, Willark Park, this game is really an invention brought on by Willark Park. I've tried to duplicate it, replicate it here in Utah. I can't find any parks that are good for this game. You need a park with varied terrain, trees, a creek. Going through it would be great, especially if it doesn't have any water in it. <laughs> um, Basically, you need Willark Park. Yeah. Trees, backstops, swing sets, other Random playground equipment. sticking out of the ground. Yeah. Just all kinds of crazy stuff and no people. <laughs> that's, that was that's the, the key. most important thing or else they will complain I mean you get hit by a golf ball or uh, a tennis, tennis ball, ball falling from one of these swings it's not going to hurt very mm -hmm. much even, even a little kid it's not going to hurt too much we would do holes such as hit the ball across the creek three times then go literally over the bridge you can't just chip it over you have to make it roll over the bridge and then the hole is hitting the drinking fountain. Uh, so you just count your, your strokes? You count your strokes. The entire time. And then at the end of each hole, uh, whoever has the lowest number of strokes, everybody subtracts that number of strokes from their score just to keep all the numbers low. You don't end up with like 50 strokes at the end of the game. Well, you might, but if you do, you're really bad because <laughs> someone ends up at the end of the game with zero strokes. <laughs> the winner is always a person with zero strokes at the end of the game because you just keep subtracting that lowest number from everybody's score. Nice. It was so much fun. It was a lot of fun. It's a very fun game. As someone who doesn't golf at all, can't drive even, it was a lot of fun. Even I was able to pick it up and play it with my own friends a couple times. I think this might have come from... Kevin's adventure style croquet <laughs> that I think I'm pretty sure it was him that brought it to the group where you don't set up the normal figure eight croquet course you uh you set them up a lot like what I was just talking about you set up each one like all over the place you're going all over the park and you're just going from wicket to wicket and it's really just a race to the end for, uh for some reason just the phrase Kevin's adventure style croquet <laughs> just feels so right. <laughs> yeah. That just, that feels like Kevin, Kevin for some reason. Kevin was probably the most creative person I've, I've ever met. I don't even know him, but it sounds like a weird 80s teen show. <laughs> <laughs> that, would be, that would be fun. 
Oh, man. Yeah, you're just racing to the end of the course to hit that. What do you call that? The peg at the end? Stake. The yeah, stake. I don't remember. Yeah, the stake at the end after the last wicket. And as soon as you hit it, I'm pretty sure you become poison at that point. You might have to hit it a certain ways out before you're poison. I can't remember, but yeah, good times. <laughs> ah, Hey, kids, do you know what time it is? Story time! So speaking of summer memories, this story comes from a much later time in life than my childhood. While in college-ish, while I was still living in Provo, (laughs) (laughs) where where the college that I went to was, uh, I got a job working at the Missionary Training Center mm-hmm. for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Curious Provo. This is going. There's, there's a few of them around the world. A lot of people probably don't even know that we have any such training facilities. But uh, those missionaries out there in the white shirts and ties and skirts and on their bikes with the black tags, they do receive training. Because most of our missionaries don't stick around in this country. They go out in the world. And so they need to learn the language. They need to learn how to teach. Yeah, how to teach well, not just how to say certain words about church stuff in the language they're learning, but literally (laughs) how to be good at talking about anything, really, just how to teach people. These training centers have a lot of professional personnel. I I can't even remember the number I heard last before I left the MTC. But I worked at the Provo Missionary Training Center. For now on, I'm going to refer to it as the MTC. I worked there from 2011 to 2018. So for... And that was a long time. Just a little more than seven years. Just a couple months more. And it was (laughs) kind of like... Of mice and men, they were the best of times and they were the worst of times sometimes. It was an intense, intense job. Most people that are members of our church, when they hear that you worked at the MTC, immediately ask you, oh, what did you teach? Mm -hmm. Because there are a lot of teachers there that teach the missionaries the language that they need to learn and or uh, how to teach. I did not teach. There, there are a lot, there's a lot to do there professionally besides just teach. I worked in broadcast media, which I will try now to explain <laughs> as succinctly as possible because I've found it's very hard to explain this to people who just don't understand what goes on with uh, this sort of stuff. So I'm going to speak about probably the biggest thing that we did. Maybe not the most frequent thing that we did, but the biggest, most important type thing that we did. On Sunday nights and Tuesday nights, all of the missionaries, which ranged from 1,500 to 2,500 missionaries at a time while I worked there, would all gather in the gym, which was able to be converted into an auditorium with like pull-out seats, just like any high school gym. And there would be a special speaker that would talk to the missionaries for 45 minutes or so about some spiritual topic or something uplifting to help them feel motivated to 
go out there and teach the world because it can be kind of hard sometimes to do two years, year and a half of just being a missionary and nothing else. You don't get to be a boyfriend. You don't get to be a girlfriend. You are a missionary. First and foremost, the end. And that MTC experience was, for a lot of people, like grueling. It is yeah. nonstop. The entire day you are doing nothing but learning. You are hearing from someone that would know right now. Because <laughs> you spent eight <laughs> months learning Russian. <laughs> so, yeah, I was in MTC for 12 weeks. 12 weeks, not 12 eight weeks months. Straight. I said eight months, didn't yeah. I? I meant eight weeks. 12 weeks. Some languages, you were there for 12 weeks. 12 weeks. Where your brain is... Well, yeah, Jared learned Japanese. Oh, yeah. Jeez, two guys. So that was probably also 12 weeks. Or was it reduced by then? It was nine. Okay. Oh, yeah. It would have been 12 earlier. I also took four years of Japanese in high school. You did? You You cheater. You stink. (laughs) Yeah, it was great going in the first Uh, day knowing everything. Just showing up and read all of the characters. Who's this white guy and why does he know how to die? Okay. Well, for others, I was not. (laughs) Yeah, I'm not representative of (laughs) most people. Like your brain is just wanting to explode the entire time. Not just the language, but also you're trying to memorize specific scriptures. Yeah. Figuring out how to ask. I don't I don't know. It, it's hard to, how to explain it. Yeah. But it's just, it's a, it's a tough experience. I loved it. Other people, like, they're just dying to get out of there. So these devotionals were, like, pretty core for a lot of people. Yeah. They were, especially, um, I would say, Tuesday nights were particularly uplifting. That, those were the nights that the, uh, I guess what you might call the upper echelon of the leadership of our church would would come to speak. Whereas on Sunday nights, uh, it could be a BYU choir, Brigham Young University choir could sing as the uh, devotional that night. Um, former football players that are now motivational speakers slash news broadcasters uh, would come and speak about their mission experiences and try to inspire the missionaries, you know? Sounds like a very frequent combo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but Tuesday nights was probably what the missionaries looked forward to the most because most every missionary, once they're at the MTC, they they catch the bug. Like the the spirit is just so strong at the MTC. And you just you just want to know more. You want to learn everything you possibly can. And getting it from these people that have been called by God to lead the church, it's it's like it's like a second dessert because they go to dinner right before. <laughs> and usually, maybe not on Tuesdays. On Sunday nights, there was an ice cream bar yes. usually, but not on Tuesday nights. So I guess the first dessert after dinner? Anyway, these meetings were pretty big productions. I would liken it to a TED Talk with a higher level of production. We had five cameras, mostly robotically controlled, some manual. Sometimes all of them were manual. It just depended. Hmm. Two different audio mixers. One guy mixed the audio for the audience live in-house down in the, on the floor. We call it a floor mixer. Uh, um, I think it's technically in the industry known as the uh, front of house mixer, not the floor mixer. But uh, we, we did develop our own jargon, much to the chagrin of 
one of the full timers that had worked at NBC previously. He hated that we had our own jargon. He just wanted us to be industry people. But, uh, you know, it happens sometimes. Yeah. Anyway. And then there was another guy who mixed in the booth for the recording because we recorded all of these and would even play back the best ones on Sunday nights after mm. the devotionals. There would be another hour and a half of movie, quote unquote, movie watching. Oh, yeah. I never stuck around for those. That often included, not often, always included in one area of the MTC, playback of really mm. good devotional talks. I got paid to basically listen to these <laughs> great people, yeah. men and women, speak about amazing topics. Like, how do you recognize the Holy Ghost? It's a difficult thing for a lot of people to understand how to recognize the Holy Ghost. And I got paid to listen to people talk about this sort of thing. Anyway, back, back, back to what the job actually was, because the job wasn't just to sit there and listen. <laughs> we had five cameras. We had two audio mixing positions. We had someone on lights. We had someone um, in the director's chair. And when I say director's chair, I really mean the technical director's chair. That's the guy in front of that Death Star looking board yes. with uh, levers and buttons and everything and a giant monitor with all kinds of different camera shots on it. That's the technical director's position. He would actually force the video to change between the cameras. Whereas the director, uh, which we didn't always have, most of the time we had a technical director who was also the director. But sometimes for really big productions, we had both. The director was the one that would say, ready camera one, mm. and take. And the technical director would be the one to push the button when he says to do it. When he mm. says ready camera one, that means camera one the operator at the joystick of camera one knows, okay, I need to not be fiddling with my camera right now. They're about to take to me. Or the director will say, I want you to do a slow push until you get to a certain level of tightness on the shot. And then I just want you to come to a halt naturally. Ready? Start your motion and take camera one. And so when he says start motion, you start that push. That way when they take to the camera, there's not this... Weird the transition of you starting the movement, you're already moving, and it's nice and smooth. Yeah. We had someone working the graphics position. That person sat at their own computer and often ran a, a camera on top of doing the graphics. Mm -hmm. And if the speaker had some kind of PowerPoint presentation, the graphics person would run that presentation. They would advance to the next slide. There would be hymns being sung throughout the... Uh, throughout the show, uh, usually at the beginning and the end, to open and close the meeting. And so the graphics position would have the lyrics to the hymn up on the projector screen. Oh yeah, I haven't talked about the projectors yet. On either side of the stage, there would be two, I think 300-inch projection screens. And each one of them had, by the time I left, a very bright 3D projector. We never used... 3D capabilities of the projector. <laughs> yeah. We got the 3D projectors because in general, 3D cinema projectors are brighter mm -hmm. than regular because each eye needs its own image, which means the overall brightness is cut in half because each eye is getting half that light. It's 
if that doesn't make immediate sense to you, I don't know if I can make it make sense, but that's how it works. So they're brighter to make up for that splitting of the image. So like when I saw Avatar for the first time in 3D, it looked really dim. I don't think they had a very good 3D projector because it didn't compensate for the uh, loss in brightness. You also tend to have uh, an extra bright silver lined screen mm. to help increase the brightness too. I don't know that we had special screens, but our projectors were extra bright 3D projectors. And they were on um, little scissor lifts that would go up into the ceiling so that a stray volleyball when the auditorium was in gym mode wouldn't uh, wreck one of those very expensive projectors. So some person would have to go up into the rafters and bring them down until we finally got them rigged up so that from one of the booths they could be are you kidding me? And raised. No, I'm no, not. That's funny. It was fun. And that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah it was, it was yeah. really fun going up there. Huh. Wouldn't um, guess that. Let's see what else. Graphics, camera, sound, two audio guys, directing, lights. That's pretty much it. Sometimes we would have teleprompting. Hmm. If the speaker wanted to be teleprompted, we would set up those little screens that had slanted glass so that you could shoot through, shoot your camera through the pane of glass without like distorting the image too much. And they could see on that glass a reflection of the screen down below it to see the words that they wanted to say. And someone in a booth would have a little spring-loaded twisty controller that would advance those words for them. So as you twist it, no in one way. direction. I didn't know that's how that It would start to scroll slowly. And the more you twist it, the faster it would scroll. So you're listening to the speaker and reading it along with the text Correct. itself yeah. to keep it on pace with their yes. cadence. Yeah. Interesting. That is interesting. And you can twist it the other way to make it uh, go the other direction if you need yeah. to back up for some reason. And it was huh. a very interesting thing to do because you don't want to lead them. You always want to make that person feel like they're in control because they are very nervous about giving someone else control, especially some college kid that's not really a professional. We were, I mean, some of us didn't get to do everything often enough to be like really great, but some of us were dang good at everything that we did. And that was pretty much always the case for the teleprompters when I was there because the teleprompters were always a member of the graphics team. So there were, you know, no more than four of us that got to do teleprompting instead of all 20 of us that never got to do it. And so you had some guy that had maybe done it once that was terrible at it. Yeah, you had to make sure they felt like they were in control, that you were following them. But then you also need to keep, there there was a little triangle on the left side of the screen that was to like indicate to their eye where they should be, like which line they need to be reading from. Oh, gotcha. But that's not for in-process speaking. You want to have that be a little lower Mm -hmm. than the carrot. But when they come to a stop or they start stuttering, like maybe they lose their place, then you use the carrot to like point to them. This is where you are. So you can kind of go back and forth a little bit, rocking on that line, and it helps. Oh, yeah, okay. And they keep going. Weird. I really thought it would have just been an automatic process. You just set it at a speed and it goes. But that makes total sense that someone would need to manually get in there. That would be great if that worked i would think now with voice recognition there are some pieces of software that do that should be able to definitely but i would doubt that the church would be using it 
for general conference, for example. Mm. Have to ask someone. I know <laughs> the guy that does the teleprompting for the church and he's excellent. He has the trust of all of the quorum of the 12 apostles. Yeah. They know him personally. They, they really know Wolf. His name is Wolf. He's rad. He's a really cool guy. <laughs> um, actually, he, no, I don't think he's retired yet. He might be. I don't know. Anyway, so this was like a really weird job. Like nobody in the world knows this is going on at this place in Provo, Utah. Like all of these things that you have to do. Because due to scheduling, it would be impossible to say, okay, you are a camera operator. This is what you do all the time. But then you get into a school schedule that makes it so that you can't be at all the things that you need to be at as a camera operator necessarily. So everyone needed to be cross-trained on everything just for logistics sake. So that was a little rough on some people. I didn't get to do a lot of... Cross-training, getting... Yeah, like being really well good at mixing audio, the, but yeah. also being really good at running a camera. Right. That is not a normal thing. But yeah, those are pretty different skill sets. It is pretty normal for a graphics operator to run a camera. That's mm. in, the, in the news broadcasting world, for example. That's pretty normal. Mm. But not really camera and audio, I don't think. Maybe, maybe in really small places that can't uh, afford to hire a bunch of people. Maybe that's normal. But um, yeah, and, and for... The, most of my time there, we were in white shirt and tie or oh, dresses, so uncomfortable. blouses and skirts, you know, mm -hmm. like more like business formal wear right. for most of the time. And when I first started, we were a small group of people. There was like maybe 10 of us. And we were kind of goofy, except for when it was time to work. When it was time to work, we took it very seriously and we did good work. But the rest of the time, there was a lot of downtime. Uh, there was a lot of hurry up and wait type stuff going on in the position and we loved to goof around and have fun play card games while we were waiting for the next thing to start one of maybe my... it should be said or noted for a time josh also worked on this team it's true yeah josh and i worked together for a good few years at the mtc not bad all that yeah yep. <laughs> they tried to get me in but <laughs> did you actually apply no i didn't think you did no i think it was my first yeah we've been yeah, I think my freshman well, no, year. No, no, definitely not. No, no. I just didn't think I'd cut it. So because I, I didn't start until 2011. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So after your mission, after yeah. you came back from your mission. Yeah. Okay. So this is a pretty big campus. Okay. Here we go. Uh, there's I, I I meant to count ahead of time, but there's at least 20 buildings that are multi-storied on the MTC campus, and kind of like Disney World, like Magic Kingdom, there are utility corridors underground. They're not like Disneyland's or Disney World's. Actually, I don't know if Disneyland has these, but I know Magic Kingdom does, where you can like drive golf carts and still have plenty of room on either side of you for another golf cart and a bunch of people walking. Oh boy. They weren't anywhere near like that. These were more like tall crawl spaces, but they weren't like a crawl space under a house. Like these were concrete enclosed Dust, very dusty, actually. Yeah, very dusty, but not dirt. Well, no, they were dirty because they were that dusty. <laughs> they were pretty dusty. Wait, are you saying like three, four feet tall? Four feet tall, yeah, maybe. Uh, why? Well, it really helped us a lot to get fiber optic cables between the building I knew as 1M, which is mm -hmm. the building where large group meeting type trainings would happen and where the cafeteria was, where all new mission presidents were trained. Yeah, but they couldn't for have a just long time. dug not anymore. two feet deeper. Yeah, I guess they could have. When they were making those. I mean, <laughs> I remember having to crouch a little bit. 
Not like a lot, but I had okay. to crouch a little bit. Okay. I guess a lot and of people don't spend a lot of time down yeah, in these. Right. Okay. And not even for all of it. Some of it I needed to crouch low, but not all of it. In the early days, when we were a little more rambunctious because we could be, we went exploring in these corridors. <laughs> I don't know that anybody at the MTC in the media department now is probably even aware of how to do that anymore. But back in the day, we could get away with a little more. And we were crawling through these tunnels, walking in, stooping, lots of pipes. And it reminded me of high school. I had a friend who loved to explore underneath the high school because it was very much like the high school where there were these little corridors that you needed to crouch under with all the pipes and cables and everything. And it was so much fun. How? And we're, we're going from, I think the building was 20M, no 19. The building where our office was and where the gym and uh, auditorium was, we were in those tunnels going to 1M, following pipes and stuff. And it felt like it, like half an hour. It probably wasn't, like not even close. I started to hear some music and it is not normal MTC <laughs> missionary, music. missionary approved music. These are not hymns. You found is a tunnel? A, is that a guitar? What? Is that a drum set? We come out of this tight corridor into a large basement storage area beneath the cafeteria and my boss is playing bass guitar with his band <laughs> wait, wait, <what>? <laughs> <laughs> he's five years or so no he's seven years from no sorry nine <laughs> he's nine years from retiring and he always rode a motorcycle to work. He was the best. Stan was an excellent, oh, excellent boss. And he's sitting there playing his guitar with his band. There's a drum set, a keyboard, another guitar, someone singing. He brought his entire band into the MTC with all of their musical instruments. Into the basement of the cafeteria what? to practice. <laughs> I don't even remember why. There was an explanation. I just don't remember what it is. I don't know why. I want to know how. At the time, did you know he was in band? No. <laughs> yes. No, I did not. That makes it so much better. It surprised the heck out of me. And then, and then it, and then it didn't, because you know he rides a motorcycle to work at the MTC. <laughs> uh, it was definitely the craziest thing I ever saw at the MTC. But uh, I do have plenty of other crazy stories at the MTC. Well, <laughs> what were they playing? I don't remember. Was it rock? I mean, genre. Yeah. yeah. There's something rockish, at least. Yeah. Oh, my word. I thought you were going to say you found a tunnel that took you out to BYU campus. No, that's a rumor. I don't think there are any tunnels that do that. And if they do, they're probably a lot deeper than right. uh, the ones we were in. Because we, we, we went pretty deep. And there was literally no other tunnels there. So unless you could somehow turn a key and make that <laughs> elevator go even deeper. Uh, no. <laughs> So he had a reason why it was happening. Yeah, was it I just don't a, why. a uh, justifiable reason? Like, did you buy it? Buy what? His reasoning. Like, was it was it a sound reason? Oh, did it yeah, actually no, makes yeah. sense right, why right, his right. band yeah, would totally. be there. Absolutely. Um, I just can't remember. He was going to be playing for something MTC related. I just don't yeah, was it talent what. show? Might they did been. talent show when I was there at least once. It was summertime, and the professional side of the MTC, as in versus the ecclesiastical side. 
the people that got paid to be doing stuff at the MTC, there was always a uh, summer barbecue for the professional staff, at least for the three-quarter and full-timers. The part-timers didn't really get much of anything. So they were going to be playing at that, and they needed to practice. And for some reason, they did it in the basement <laughs> of the MDC. Because <laughs> certainly the barbecue wasn't going to be at the MDC. It was just so random. <laughs> it's so like, weird. The day we decide we have enough downtime to go explore is the day that we're into Stan <laughs> and his band in the basement. Oh, my gosh. I thought, I thought you were leading up to stumbling upon an upper echelon church leader. I wish. Listening to hardcore rock <laughs> in the I basement. Wish. That'd be pretty cool. And like headbanging or something. Yeah, just no, like, not so much. That That's still cool though, especially because he didn't know he was in the band. Yeah. So yeah. it's just like, what is happening? I was still pretty new at the MTC at that point too. <laughs> so I was like, oh, this is okay, huh? <laughs> yeah, no kidding. So were they any good? They were all right, yeah. yeah. Good job, Stan. Thank you. Thank you. Dang it, that's what I was going to do. Oh, shoot. Do it. You're going to do better. Thank you for being our brother. Wow, did that might be too energetic, though. Okay. (laughs) We'll we'll take another run at it then. Okay. For For being being our brother. brother. (laughs) The first one was too energetic. (laughs) Gotcha. For show notes, rockin' merch, and other brother goodness, check out our website at anotherbrotherpodcast.com. Be sure to come back next week. And tell your friends so they too can become a brother over here, brother over there.